You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Hello, I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to another episode of the How to Win podcast. This podcast series is based on 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, now thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. And thank God we're in Christ, and thank God we win. Uh, For those of you that have been with us, you know we began uh, this series talking about George Floyd and uh, the situation uh, that took place with his death. And then, you know, I just felt led of the Spirit of God to to keep talking about it. And listen, we've we've gotten to our fourth session. Uh, You've done a great job of sending questions in, and uh, those questions are really, really a blessing to me because it helps me to fill in the gap. Now, this session, as you know, we've been talking about race and racism and and all the different kinds of things. It's broad. It is deep. You know what? It, it is it is just so much. So I've been throwing a lot of information out at you. And today on this last session, lessons from a Christian racist, I'm going to throw a lot of information out again. And I want you to send your questions. But I got good news for you. If we don't get to all your questions today, I thought about us, you and I having a Q&A session. In fact, we could have one or two sessions if it's good with you, uh, Q&A, where you can ask any question about anything we've talked about or anything we haven't talked about, and we'll get into that. And then let's have that, what I'm calling an F and C session, where you can share your feelings or just comments. Maybe you don't have a question, but you want to just share what you feel and your comments about what we've been talking about. And I think it'll be great. And your engagement will determine whether it's one session or next session. So remember, the next session, I'm not going to come in with anything prepared. We're going to have Q&A, and we're going to give you an opportunity to share your comments and your feelings. Also, the Spirit of God spoke to me recently, and I'm going to uh, begin a series in a few weeks uh, on Sunday mornings because I want it on television entitled Muted Voice. Muted Voice. The Spirit of God spoke to me about that. And so I'm going to take some of the information that we shared with you on the podcast. And then because we've been putting so much information in four sessions, I'm going to stretch it out and then I'll be able to develop some things that I could not develop in this podcast. So I I believe it's going to be a blessing, and I'll remind you at the end of the podcast today about the next one or two sessions. So let's talk about lessons from a Christian racist. Uh, The Apostle Peter will be our character today, and you'll find the information that we're going to be sharing from. The scriptural or proof text will be Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11, verse 1 through 3, Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, 13 through 14. So the background text of what we're going to be talking about today is taken from Acts chapter 10. 
Acts chapter 11, verse 1 through 3, and Galatians chapter 2, verses 11, 13 through 14. So today we're going to talk about roadblocks. We're going to talk about roots and we're going to talk about remedies. Say that roadblocks, roots and remedies, roadblocks, roots and remedies. So let's talk. Let's talk first about roadblocks to racial equality, roadblocks to racial reconciliation. What are the roadblocks? The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, that we are one. We are all one in Christ. And remember, I, much of what I'm dealing with has to do with the church. I'm, I'm talking to the church. When I do this thing, uh, this, this series, Muted Voice, I'm going to be challenging the church again to speak out against racism. So much of what I'm talking about is to believers believers. Now, roadblocks, I think that there are two roadblocks to racial equality from a Christian perspective, <coughs> pardon me, from a Christian perspective uh, in the church. I believe that number one, blind spots, and number two, a lack of empathy. Blind spots and a lack of empathy. Now, Mark, Matthew chapter seven, verse five, the spirit of God quickened this scripture to me. I just heard him say Matthew chapter seven, verse five. It says, thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast the mote out of your brother's eye. The new century version says, take out the wood or the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the dust out of your friend's eye. In other words, we have to begin to look on the ins look at ourselves. But the problem with this issue of racism uh, and the reason why it's such a difficult thing for us to get our hands around is because we have blind spots. So what is a blind spot? A blind spot is a gap in a, in a person's perception that blinds them from seeing the truth about themselves and others. It is a gap in a person's perception that blinds them, him or her, from seeing the truth about themselves and the truth about others. Blind spots are a complete lack of insight to how our behavior is affecting others. A complete lack of insight to how our behavior is affecting others. Sometimes we say hurtful things and sensitive things. We say uh, demotivating things and we are, we are really have no awareness of the fact that we've been racially insensitive because we have blind spots. The second uh, roadblock to, I think, racial equality in, is a lack of empathy. Empathy is the ability to relate to the thoughts and the emotions and the experiences of others, the ability to relate to the thoughts, the emotions, and the experiences of others. Empathy, empathy. When we show empathy, 
then when we show people that we understand, then it brings us closer and, and, and it develops trust. I understand you. I appreciate your position. Then it brings us closer together. There are three distinct kinds of empathy, emotional empathy, cognitive empathy, and emphatic concern. Emphatic concern. Emotional empathy is just simply the ability to feel what another person feels. The ability to feel what another person feels. Cognitive empathy is the ability to understand another's perspective. The ability to understand another's perspective. And then emphatic concern is the ability to sense what another person needs from you. The ability to sense what another person needs from you. Now think about it. Roadblocks to reconciliation. And I, I just kind of move kind of fast through that. Roadblocks, blind spots, Lack of empathy. I give you, I give you a classic illustration that um, uh, I saw on television on the news. They were showing a protest, and there was a line of police officers at the protest. They they were lined up across the road, and a black protester walked up near maybe a few, a few yards from the police officers, and the black protester kneeled down. It was peaceful. It was nothing violent, anything like that. So you have this black protester kneeling yards away from the line of police officers, and they got their gear and they got everything out to keep everybody from going forward. A white protester got up, came toward the black protester, and got in front of the black protester and kneeled. So now you got a white protester kneeling in front of the black protester. I mean, directly in front of the black protester. They asked, a reporter asked the white protester about the kneeling in front of the black protester. And the, 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 um, the uh, reporter said, were you afraid? Asked the white protester, were you afraid when you went and kneeled in front of the black protester? And the white protester said something that I thought was very profound. The white protester said, no, I wasn't afraid because I am white. Now think about that for just a moment. He said, no, I'm not afraid. I was not afraid because I am white. Now, that is a powerful example to me of empathy. It's a, it's a powerful example. This guy, whoever he was, I don't know whether he was a Christian or not, this guy had the ability to look outside of himself, 
understand a privilege that he had. In other words, he was saying several things. He was saying that he believed because he was white, he believed that those police officers would be more careful, more hesitant to to proceed in a way that was abusive because he was white. But more than that, he also understood how the black protester must have felt. He appreciated how he must have felt. And that's what empathy is, is understanding what you're thinking, what another person is feeling, uh, what another person experienced. And if you're black, I don't care whether it's a courageous act, there's still some sense of fear that you have. There's still some sense of fear uh, that you have. Now, think about it. Here's a guy, we don't know whether he's saved or not. It just seems to me that when it comes to the church, when it comes to the church, we should demonstrate a high level of empathy Yet in the church, I think that we are not the light of the world. We're not the headlight. I think we're the tail light. I think God intended for us to be out front. I think God intended for us to be the example. I think God intended for us to be the salt of the earth. But much of the time, the world is leading us, and unfortunately, the world is leading us now in both racial equality, believing forward, moving forward, acting forward, and also racial reconciliation. Now, let's talk about some roots. Let's talk about roots. And when I talk about roots, I'm talking about both the causes of racism, both the causes of racism, but when you think of the root of a plant, you, the thing that keeps a plant from falling over, the thing that keeps a plant from falling over is the root system. So the root system keeps the plant stable. So in a strange way, we want to talk about, okay, if racism is a generational curse, it moves from one generation to another generation, What's holding it in place? What's keeping this sin in place? What's keeping this mindset in place? What are the roots? I think that there are four basic roots. Pride, superiority, ignorance, and fear. Pride, superiority, ignorance, and fear. Now, I said that this lesson is entitled Lesson from a Christian Racist. Now, you may be thinking, is it possible for a person to be a Christian or even spirit-filled or church goer or a member of a church and be a racist? Absolutely it's possible. It is very much possible. Peter was saved the apostle Peter, he was saved. We're going to look at him in Acts chapter 10. He was spirit-filled. He was a tongue talker. You know he believed in Jesus because he followed him for three and a half years, and he was called to be an apostle, and yet Peter was a racist. 
for all practical purposes, when we look at him, he was a racist. So let's look at Let's look at pride. Peter had pride in his life. Acts chapter 10, verse 13 through 16 in the King James Version. Acts 10, 13 through 16. It says, and there came a voice to him, to Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, no, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice said unto him again, the second time, what God has cleansed, don't you call common. This was done three times. God gave Peter a supernatural vision from God. And in this vision, he saw a sheep come down from heaven and there were all kinds of animals in it. There were some clean and some unclean. And the Spirit of God spoke to Peter and said, I want you to eat. And notice what Peter said, no, Lord. Think about it. You're talking to the Lord and you say, no, Lord. And then he said, I have never eaten anything that are common and unclean. And the Bible says the Lord had to do it three times pride. Pride says one thing. Pride is God saying one thing and you saying another. If God says one thing and you say another, that's pride. If God says that we are one in Christ and you say we should all stay with our kind, then you have said something that's different from God, and the Bible calls that pride. Pride says, I think, I feel, people need to just stay with their own kind. Pride keeps people, listen to me carefully, pride keeps people from acknowledging their shortcomings and weaknesses and their sins. Pride keeps people from repenting and accepting responsibility without justification and excuses. Pride talks when one should be listening. I want you to remember that. Pride talks when one should be listening. Now think about it. Think about pride. We got this high rate of infection, a high widespread racism in the church, racism in the church widespread, prevalent, generational, generational. I, and you know, I'm preparing for my new series, Muted Voice. And one of the things that I'm going to communicate is 57 years after Martin Luther King said that the 11 hour on Sunday is the most, the, the most segregated hour, 57 years later, 90% of white, white people worship in white churches and 90% of black people worship in black churches. So think about it. We got this high rate of racism in the church, but no one's a racist. Think about that. No one is a racist, but we got this high rate of racism pride. Superiority is the next root that's holding this thing in place. It's keeping it in place. A superiority complex in Acts chapter 10, verse 28, Peter told them, you know, it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. 
Now think about it. Peter entered into Cornelius' house. Peter's a Jew. He enters into a Gentile's house, and that was a taboo in that day. And Peter said to the man, to the Gentile, you know it is against our laws for us to enter into your home. That, that is just to say that to another person is a superiority complex. Peter believed that he was superior to the Gentiles because of his racial and religious heritage. A feeling or a, a sense of superiority hinders fellowship. Now listen at this. And it hinders mutual submission. Say mutual submission. It hinders mutual submission. There should be mutual submission amongst the races. There should be a mutual submission. Now listen at this. You can't look down and operate on a level of equality. You cannot look down and operate on a level of equality. In other words, try this at home. In fact, as soon as we finish, try this. I want you to look down. In fact, you can do it right now. You can do it right now. I want you to take your head and look down. Now, as you're looking down, tell me what are you seeing in front of you? Look down right now. I want you to take your head and bend down and look down toward your feet. I want you to look down towards your feet. Now you tell me, what can you see in front of you? And the answer is nothing. You can see nothing in front of you because you can't look down and operate looking in front of you. It's looking on a level, even level. You cannot look down and look forward or on an equal level at the same time. But listen at this. You can't always look up and feel equal to others. You can't always be looking up. You're looking up. You can't always be looking up and feel equal to others. Now I'm going to make some statements and I want you to just think about these statements. I want you to think about these statements and remember I'm by no means saying that everybody, all black people, all white people, all race, I'm not even saying that. I'm trying to get have some honest discussions about this thing because when we talk about racism it's so on a surface level, we never get to the bottom. We never say what we feel. We just, we just surface stuff and we never get to the root of this. So listen at this. Listen at these, these two converse statements that I'm getting ready to make. It requires, talking about a superiority complex, it requires biblical mind renewal and intentionality. It requires biblical mind renewal and intentionality for white people to not feel superior to blacks. Now, listen at that. Listen to that statement. Your first response might be, well, that's a racist statement. That's the racist No, no, no. Let's, 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 come on. Come on. Come on. Stay with me. Stay with me. It requires biblical mind renewal. And intentionality, and, and, and intentionality, it's going to require some parental help and some other kinds of help. 
for white people to not feel superior to black people. Now, let's look at it. On the other hand, it requires biblical mind renewal and intentionality. That can come from parents or somebody else. It requires biblical mind renewal and intentionality for black people to not feel inferior to white people. Now, let's let's just look at that for a moment. Let's just look, let's, let's kind of look at that for just a moment. Okay. Okay. White people, I said that it's going to take biblical mind renewal, and I said that it's going to take some intentionality on your part. Let's look at some of the reasons I say that. White people are the majority in the race. If you are a majority in a race, you're going to be highly represented in society. Listen at this. There is a gap, wealth gap, position gap, authority gap, as it relates to decision-making in policy-making positions between whites and blacks. Everybody know that. There is a wealth gap. I'm talking about whites as a group. There's a wealth gap. White people have more wealth than black people. There is a position gap. White people control most of the policy-making, decision-making positions in our country. There is an authority gap. Now watch this, between whites and blacks. A third reason why it is going to require some intentionality is because whites usually operate on the giving side. White people are usually operating on the giving side. I'm not saying blacks don't give, but I'm just saying it's very rare that you hear black people say, well, I'm going over to this, uh, this white area and help them out. It's very rare. So whites tend to operate on the giving side. Now listen at this. White people don't usually feel a need for black contribution. They don't feel a need for black contribution. Unless you maybe you're on the uh, developing an NBA team or something like that, you may feel it. Well, if this is true, what I'm saying, and I believe that what I'm saying is true, and remember, you don't have to agree with anything that I'm saying, then it's going to require biblical mind renewal, and it's going to require some intentionality if you got this gap, if you got your highly represented, if you operate on the giving side you're helping black people, not black people helping you, and you feel that way, you're going to naturally feel a sense of superiority. On the other hand, black people, it's going to be easy for black people to feel inferior just because of the converse of just what I said. It, it, just the converse. Just the converse of what I said. Apart from some kind of interruption, there has to be some kind of interruption for us to not feel inferior. Like, for example, my mom 
constantly, constantly told me how smart I was. I, my mother thought I was the smartest thing on the planet. So what happened, no matter where I matriculated through school, I could go to an all-black college. I went to, for a season, I went to a, a predominantly white military school where there were only two blacks, me and another guy on campus. And then I went to another predominantly white and I excelled in all those areas because there was an interruption. I had my parents telling me how smart I was so I could feel like I could handle no matter what situation I was in. Now, there were other areas that I felt inferior. There were other areas. So then coming into the kingdom, I began to hear mind renewal things like in Christ realities, who we are, what we have, what we can do, where we are. Now I, my, 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 my confidence is being boosted, boosted. So there has to be some intentionality for black people to not feel inferior. Now, that's one of the reasons why when we when we built the Family Activity Center, it is a $26 million facility. I was intentional. Now, there were other input, but I was intentional how it was going to look, the quality of it. I wanted there to be an indoor playground with, with the kids because I wanted kids and I wanted people to walk in there and our kids to be able to see something on a high level so that they could believe for it. Now, listen at this. We believe what we see a lot of. We believe what we see a lot of. So if we don't see ourselves represented, it's hard for us to not feel inferior. Now, I'm, I'm going to go into this deeper when I start my new series. When I start that series on, on muted voice, I'm going to talk about racial and ethnic socialization. Once you get into the weeds of that and start talking about that, it becomes easy to understand why we believe certain things, whether superior or inferior, it, it becomes easy. The third root is ignorance. Ignorance. Acts chapter 10, verse 28. Peter said, but God has shown me. Peter was ignorant. Not only, not only did he have pride, not only did he have a superiority complex, but he was ignorant. He was totally ignorant of the fact that the wall between the Jew and the Gentile had fallen through the finished work of Jesus Christ. He was ignorant. Ignorance can be an absence of knowledge, but it can also be embracing false knowledge like the curse of Ham. Ignorance leads to stereotypes. All whites are, all blacks are, all immigrants are. The, the thing that's holding this thing up is ignorance. It's that we are ignorant. We're ignorant about race. We're ignorant about black history. We're ignorant about the word in some areas. And it, it keeps it, it, it keeps it hell up there. Am I making, am I making sense? Shake your head. Now shake your head. Come on, come on, come on. Give me a high five. Look, come on. Let's high five each other. Come on. High five me. The fourth, the fourth root is fear. Acts chapter 11, verse two 
through 3.8, Peter obeyed the Spirit of God, went to a Gentile house, but when he came back to Jerusalem, the Jewish brother brethren got on him. I mean, they got on him. And in and, and just modern vernacular, they asked him, how in the world can you go over to a Gentile house and you ate with them? I mean, you didn't just go in their house. You ate with them. Fear. Fears that we must overcome. Fear of the unknown. Different white cultures, different from black culture, black cultures, different from white culture, the fear of rejection. Will they accept me? The fear of criticism. What will my family, friends and peers think? The fear of harm. Will I be safe? The fear of loss. Will I lose support? Will I lose members if I preach? Will I lose money? Will I lose friends? Will I lose family? Fear. Now, when you look at the roots, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Pride, superiority complex, ignorance, and fear. Now, let's flop it. Let, let's turn it on the other side. We talked about roadblocks. We talked about roots. And now let's talk about remedies. Let's talk about remnants. Now, I taught this, and, and every time I teach on race and racism, God shows me something different. He shows me something different. In my series, Save, Sanctified, and Prejudice, I listed some areas that I think will remedy the situation. I talked about confrontation, revelation, obedience, acclamation, mutual respect, and acceptance of differences. I still believe that. I still believe that. But I'm going to say it a little bit different today. I'm going to say it a little bit different this time. There are about five areas. One, two, three, four, five. There are about six areas that I think are remedies to this thing of racism. Now, I, you know, I'm talking to the church. I understand that there are legislative things. I understand that the, the, the protest is being effective and laws have to be changed and all that. I understand that. I'm talking to the church. I'm talking about us now. I'm talking about there's something has to happen in us. There are five things. I'll give you an overview and I'll come back. Prayer. An epiphany, obedience, acclamation, confrontation, and mind renewal. I'll say it again. Prayer, an epiphany, obedience, acclamation, confrontation, and mind renewal. This is work. I'm just going to be honest with you. What, what, this, is, this is work. This, this thing of racism in the church, it is serious. It is deep. And it is something that God hates. I'm telling you, God spoke to me. God told me, don't you be prejudiced. And God told me it needs to be dealt with. So whenever I hear anybody, I don't care what kind of leader they are, and they talk like it's not a problem, and and it, it was settled. I know that they, I know that they hadn't heard from God. 
God told me that this needs to be dealt with. And I'm going to share something with you. I'm going to share something with you. Let me, listen, come on, listen, come on, listen, come on, come on, listen. It is unfortunate that God has had to go around the church. See, a lot of people, racism and racism, prejudice minded people, all this mass demonstration that's global. I mean, it's global all over the place. People are marching and protesting and a lot of things are happening that are positive. And, you know, prejudice mind people, all they see is riots and looting. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God is doing something in this world today. And he's doing something in our country. I mean, God is moving. It is unfortunate that he has to move around the church. You see, the church, as I said in one of our episodes, the church <clears throat> is highly infected. And I see unit, I see you units and on respirators. So we're not in a position to participate. We're not, we can't lead it. I, the scripture said we're the salt of the earth, but we can't preserve it. The Bible said we're the light of the world, but we can't guide it. We can't furnish an example because we got too much in us. So it's going to take some work for us and it's going to take some real serious honesty. So let's look at some of this. It's going to take prayer. And anybody who downplays prayer, don't pray. They don't spend time in prayer. I was uh, talking to my daughter the other day. And I told her on a real good day. A real good day, where I'm trying to go, real good day, four hours of prayer, I can get a lot done. I got I got to spend four hours of prayer to just get a, get something done. A, a good day is three hours. And I'm I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about every Christian got to pray four hours, every Christian got three, three hours. But when you are a leader and you are a pastor, you got to pray. I mean, you gotta you gotta spend you gotta spend time in prayer. You know, when you when you got people listening to you and people following you and people, you gotta spend time with prayer. Two hours is maintenance. I mean, for a pastor, for a pastor, and I'm not trying to put a law on you. You can't even lead a church if you don't pray two hours, not effectively. You can't even hear from God. If you ain't, you're going to pray just two hours, you, you got to spend some time with God. And I know many of you may be bivocational, so don't trip about it. Don't trip about it. I'm not saying everybody got to pray the same amount. I'm just trying to trying to elevate your thinking. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm not saying God's going to hold you down to this and he's up there shaking the list. I'm not, I'm not trying to put you in bondage. I'm just trying to motivate you and, and get you thinking. If you work a full-time job and then you're passing your church and you ain't going to have much time to pray as I would have because I'm, I'm full-time. I'm, I'm full-time ministry. But I'm just saying prayer has to be 
something, especially for a leader, especially, and I, everything I've said thus far has been for those, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher, people who are out front, prayer has to be important. Cornelius in Acts 10 2, he was a devout, now he wasn't saved, but he was a devout, God-fearing man, as with everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor, and he prayed regularly to God. So here is a, a man that's not even born again, but the Bible says that he prayed regularly to God. Now listen to me carefully. It was in prayer that he had a vision from God. Now follow me. He got a vision from God and an angel gave him directions in that vision. Think about it. He had a vision from God. Now listen at this. Peter, now God has directed Cornelius to send people to get Peter. So the messengers are on the way. The next day, while Cornelius' messengers, this Acts 10 and 9, was moving toward nearing the town where Peter was, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. Now look at prayer, prayer, prayer on both sides, prayer. Now watch this. It was in prayer that Peter had a vision and was instructed what to do. There are things, I'm telling you, this racism thing is a stronghold. There are spiritual forces that's trying to separate the body of Christ and, and trying to maintain this racism thing and, and have folk defensive and angry and all this strife and all this kinds of stuff. It, it, there are spiritual forces and we will not know what to do if we're not spending time because it was in prayer, watch this. It was in prayer that Peter's blind spots were broken. He, he had some blind spots, but in prayer, his blind spots were broken. I, I, um, I remember years ago, I remember years ago, I remember years ago when I was struggling in my life emotionally. Man, I was preaching and all this kind of stuff, but emotionally I was just kind of all over the place. And I didn't know what was wrong with me. And I was praying. I was praying in the spirit, just praying. And, and one day I decided, oh, okay, I'm going to pray for me. I don't know what's going on with me, so I'm going to pray for me. And I was praying in the spirit, and the spirit of God spoke to me and said, rejection. He said, rejection. He said, rejection prayer opened the windows of heaven to give me a revelation about a blind spot I had. I didn't know I was dealing with rejection. If you had asked me what rejection was, I couldn't even explain it to you. So I studied it out, began to read books, and began to pray about it. And then I began to understand a blind spot that I had in my life. Peter did not know he was a racist. He did not know because racism can operate on a conscious or unconscious level. It can operate in a passive way where you say nothing or it can operate in an active way. It is possible to be a racist and not know it. So it was in prayer 
that the blind spots were removed and he began to see some things, prayer is going to aid the church in removing the blind spots that we have. Prayer is going to help us to see ourselves because, see, right now, watch this. Listen, listen to me. Listen to me. I want you to listen to me. Listen to me right now. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at you. I got my focus right on you, but I can't see me. I can't see whether there's something on my lips. I can't see whether there's something on my, in my hair. I got blind spots. I can't, I can't see my neck. I can't see my ears, but you can. God can. So the spirit of God, as we spend time in prayer, the spirit of God will help us to see our own blind spots. Whenever people said they were praying and all they can see is something bad in other folk, they had not spent time with God. They've just been talking. Because there's no way that you can spend time with God and not begin to see blind spots in your own life. An epiphany. An epiphany is an illuminating discovery, a realization, a disclosure, insight, a moment of sudden or great revelation that usually change you in some way. An epiphany is an illuminating discovery. Realization, dis disclosure, insight, a moment of setting a great revelation that usually change you in some way. Peter said in Acts 10, 28, God has shown me. Listen at this. He said, God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure and unclean. He said, God, he had an epiphany. He said, God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. The implication is that that's the way he was thinking about the Gentiles. He was thinking that they were impure. He was thinking that they were unclean, but he spent time in prayer and he had an epiphany. He had a discovery. It was sudden. His eyes were open. Listen at this. Peter didn't know he was a racist. He was saved, spirit-filled. He was called into ministry. Watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. This is the same Peter who on Acts in Acts chapter 10 preached and 3,000 people got saved. This is the same Peter in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. The Acts chapter 5, the Bible said he walked and the, 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 his shadow healed people. Now, I know you're thinking now. You're thinking. You're thinking. How could God, well, let's go back. How could God use him? And he got racism in him. The same way he used us when we got adultery in our lives, when we fornicate, we got unforgiveness in our lives. The same way he uses us when we gossip. The same way he uses us when we backbite. The same way he uses us when we have a plantation mentality. Listen, God does not use us all the time because of us. God uses us. Thank God for his grace. He uses us in spite of us. In spite of us. Now, 
There has to come a time, though, where we have an epiphany. There has to come a time, especially as a group, as a corporate body, we're never going to accomplish everything God wants us to accomplish. People talking about this great move going to happen, this going to happen, this going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen until we deal with this. This is one of the greatest sins in the church. Racism is one of the greatest sins in the church. It's, it's one of the things that's holding back the move of God, the power of God. Oh, he's going to move in different places here and there, a little bit, a little bit. Little, but we're never going to have revival in America. I mean, talking about revival. I'm not talking about one church being large, this church being mega church. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a move of God. We're never going to have a genuine move of God that sweeps this nation until we get rid of racism. Obedience, the third remedy. Obedience to the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 10, verse 19, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs and go with them. Don't worry, I've sent them. Often God's leadings will contradict our feelings and opinions, and God usually will lead us outside of our comfort zone. I'm going to say that again. Often God's leadings will contradict our feelings and our opinions and direct us outside of our comfort zones. Now, I promise you, Peter didn't feel anything about going to a Gentile house. I promise you, it was not his opinion because God had to talk to him three times. And it was definitely outside of his comfort zone. I believe that we will have racial reconciliation when we are truly led by the Spirit. Not led by people, not led by our fears, not led by our insecurities, not led by our preferences, not led by our culture, not led by our comfort. I truly believe that we'll have racial reconciliation when we learn to obey the Holy Spirit. Number four, acclamation. Acts chapter 10, verse 23, it says, So Peter invited the man to stay for the next night. He invited Gentiles in Acts 10, 23 to come into his home for the night. No Orthodox Jew would do that. No Jew would invite a Gentile into their house to spend the night. Now he's been led by the Spirit. Acclamation. Acts chapter 10, verse 25, it says, as Peter entered his home. So now Peter is crossing over and entering into the home of a Gentile. So now what we got two crossovers. We got Gentiles crossing over into Peter's home. And we got Peter crossing over into the Gentiles' home, acclamation. Acclamation is when you adjust to a new climate, situation, culture, or environment. Acclamation is when you adjust to a new climate, situation, culture, or environment. Acclamation always involves discomfort. It always involves initial discomfort. 
Now, I read this and then and then I got some questions I want to ask, but I read this. Someone said and asked this question, is there racism in the multi-ethnic movement? I read this, but it made me think about a question that I had. Is there racism in the multi-ethnic movement? Some believe that parts of the multi-ethnic movement have traces of white supremacy. So let's, let's look at this for a moment. Let's look at this for a moment. This is so very important. Black Americans are most likely, the most likely group to worship with whites. Black Americans are the most likely group to worship with whites. Why? Why is that? Most, well, well, let's look at this second thing. A majority of multiracial churches are led by white pastors, not all, but most, and become diverse by minorities assimilating into predominantly white churches. Why? I'm going to say that again. A majority of multiracial churches are led by white pastors. Not all, but a majority. And become diverse by minorities assimilating into predominantly white churches. I am saying, and I think this is true, and if it's not true, you, you, you let me know it's not true, that what we call diversity in the church well, we have a diverse church. Somebody said, well, we got a diverse church. I am saying in the majority of times in America that the church is diverse, it is blacks crossing over into white churches. Now, listen to me carefully. I settled this thing a long time ago. I settled the fact that the sheep, and I'm talking to my pastors, and I'm, and I'm talking to black pastors right now. I settled this thing that the sheep did not belong to me. I settled that. So if they come, they come. I'm, I'm thankful. If they go, they go. And, and I believe that the same way God can lead people to faith chapel, God can lead people to leave. And personally, we've had members of our church leave and go to a, a predominantly white church. Personally, and this is the honest God truth, I don't have no problem with it. My concern is, are you being led by the Spirit? Okay, if, if, if God leading you, you know, not just as the great thing, God, because when I look at our city, all of us have been the great thing at some point in time. A lot of churches have been the great thing. You know what I mean? So are you being led by the spirit? Okay. Pastor, I feel led. I'm through with that. Okay. I'm through with that. 
because you belong to him. And I never, never talked down to anybody. I never talked about anybody. I never had a plantation mentality about that. I never talked about that kind of craziness stuff because they don't belong to us. They don't belong to us. And if we truly have a vision from God and we love people, watch this now. I'm, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you for a minute. And I'm, I'm going to finish up in a second. But I want to talk to you, pastors. Listen. If you have a vision from God and you love the people, you love them. Because if you really love them now, if you really love your flock, if you love the people, then you want what's best for them and not what's best for you. Okay. So if they say it's best for me to be over here because you love them, you want them to be over there. That's love. That's love. Now watch this. And if you have a vision from God, a, you know God spoke to you. God going to always supply the people that you need, the resources that you need. He going to always give you what, you what you need. So I think that's a saddle. Now watch this. A majority of multiracial churches are led by white pastors and become diverse by minorities assimilating to dominantly white churches. I don't have a problem with that. Listen at this, though. On the other hand, whites rarely cross over and join predominantly black churches. Why? I want to say that again. On the other hand, whites rarely cross over and join predominantly black churches. Why? If God works on both sides, an angel dealt with Cornelius through a vision and then, and God dealt with Peter through a vision and the Gentiles went to Peter's home and Peter went to the Gentiles. Home. If God is working on both sides, then here's my question. And somebody needs to help me. Somebody got to tell me this because this was my question. Why is God only leading black people to white churches and not leading white people to black churches? Why is that? What, what I mean, what's into that? I mean, what, what's into that? Now, watch this. Is it a step up for black Christians and a step down for white Christians? Hmm. That's, that's, I heard a prophet say this. I, he said that the day is going to come where white Christians are going to cross over and join predominantly black churches. Well, here's, here's what I believe. Now, I'm a, I consider myself a prophet because God called me one. I don't think we're going to ever have truly diversity if only black people are crossing over. I don't think we can. I don't think that's full diversity. I think that white folk, you can't tell me that God is not speaking to and leading white people. You just can't tell me. So the issue is what's blocking white people from crossing over. And I guess only white people can answer that. Confrontation. I think that confrontation is a part of the remedy. Even after Peter had an epiphany, even after Peter prayed, even after he had a vision, and even after he initially did what God did, over in Galatians chapter 2, Peter fell right back into racism. 
They fell right back into it. He fell right back into it. The Jew, Peter was fellowshipping with Gentiles because he was in a Gentile region, eating with them. And then when Jews from Jerusalem came up to, to the church, then Peter separated himself and let some other folks separate themselves. And Paul said, I got in his face and I talked to him face to face because he was wrong. Confrontation. You can't change what you won't confront. And you can't maintain what you won't confront. You can't change what you won't confront and you can't maintain what you won't confront. I'm going to say that again. You can't change what you won't confront. You can't, if you don't confront it, you can't change it. If you gloss over it, you'll never change it. You'll ne you can't maintain what you won't confront. You can't maintain it if you won't confront. Accountability is a critical to overcoming racism. And finally, it's going to take some mind renewal. Man, we're just going to have to get our minds renewed, according to 12, uh, Romans 12, too. We, we got to renew our minds to in Christ realities. But I, I, think, I, I think white people are going to have to start studying some black history. Gotta, see, we got we to gotta get our heads together. We got to start. We got to dive in there. And I heard, I think TDJ said that since all this protesting has taken place, more people are buying and ordering black history material. And that's good. That's good. That's good. Because I think we have to not just have American history. We got to have some black history along with our in Christ reality. That's my shot at it. That's my best shot at it. And I'm going to, I said this, we got some questions here, but I said this at the beginning. Uh, remember the next session, I'm not going to come prepared. I'm not going to prepare anything. We're going to have a session where we answer questions, Q&A. And, and it's going to be a session where you can come in or tell me what you feel, and we're just going to talk about it. And we'll do it for a whole session. If you want to do it, two sessions. We'll do it for two sessions. But you need to send your questions to pastor at faithchapel.net. Pastor at faithchapel.net. Pastor at faithchapel.net. You can send your questions, send your comments, and then you can send your questions in real time when we do the session. There, somewhere else they're supposed to send their questions. They can send it. Uh, they can um, comment on our social media page. You can also comment on our social me media page. So we're going to be looking for that, and that's what we're going to do next week. I'm going to answer some questions. Blind spot, is that a sin? No, a blind spot is not necessarily a sin. A blind spot is a lack of a lack of insight, but it can be that you're walking in a sin. You can have a blind spot that's not a sin. For example, I had a blind spot about the fact that I was uh, dealing with rejection. On the other hand, you can have a blind spot of a weakness or a sin that you got, but it's not necessarily a sin. It can be. A great question. How can knowing someone who is both a self-proclaimed racist and Christian not make witness and salvation to non-believers counterproductive? 
How can knowing someone who is both a self-proclaimed racist and Christian not make witnesses salvation to non-believers? Well, well, that's a great question. It's two parts. I didn't say that a self-proclaimed racist would be productive in ministry. I didn't, I didn't say that. I said that God can use a person that is a racist, but Peter didn't know he was. Peter had no knowledge of it. Now, if I am a self-proclaimed racist, then I am choosing to resist God's will. There's not a lack of knowledge. There's not a lack of information. Well, if I am a, I hate black folk or I hate white folk, I just hate them, then it's going to be counterproductive. That was not the case with Peter. It was a blind spot when it came to Peter, but that's a great question. Who would ever believe the truth of God's word? Uh, if, 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 I guess if it doesn't represent Christianity and if it does if it uphold racist ideology. See, you're over into a whole different thing. I'm not talking about white supremacists or, or black nationalists. I'm not talking about people like that going around preaching the gospel and winning people. That wasn't, that wasn't the context that I was talking in. I'm, I'm not talking about a person espousing racism and at the same time trying to get people saved. I was talking about the fact that God often uses us in our ignorance because, see, racism is a sin, but adultery is a sin, too. Fornication is a sin, too. Gossip is a sin, too. So you can ask the same questions. I'm just saying that, that God often uses us in spite of us. I'm not saying I'm walking around sinning and expecting God to use me. I'm saying that Many times it's a blind spot in our lives. Um, I know I have a problem with some white Christians. I feel that they are prejudiced, so I am prejudiced against them. How do I fight this? I think that's a good, that's a good question, but it's not just a good question. It is a good sense of self-awareness because if you don't know where you are, you can't change Here's the thing with that. That to me would come on a, of reactive, reactionary prejudice or reactionary racism. The way you overcome that is you see it the way you do any sin. It's the way you overcome any sin. You acknowledge it. You repent, you ask God to forgive you, and then you begin to renew your mind. And you cannot renew your mind in the love of God and hate people. I mean, you just can't do it. You know, I submit to you, spend more time listening to the word on love and, and, and relating to people, because if you're meditating in that area, it's going to be hard for you to stay stuck in that area. I think that that was just an amazing question. And I'm, I'm just proud of you to be even to say that. Uh, are there spiritual forces that keep racism going? Yes, demonic forces, devils, demons. 
it is huge. It is, oh my goodness, this thing is so. It, it it you know I was I was prepping for my series that I'm gonna I'm gonna do on Sundays in a few weeks, and uh, I made a statement somewhere in one of the lessons where where I said it is a precarious position to be sick and not know you're sick. It would be better to know that you're sick because then you can get some help. But if you're going all your life and you're sick and you don't know you're sick, you could die. You can't get help. And so it is huge. Will racism ever really be done away with? That is a great, all these are wonderful questions. All these are wonderful questions. Let me say this. All I know that everybody talking about Jesus is going to be coming back tomorrow and all this kind of stuff. All I know is it's going to be dealt with. God said to me, the way you hear me right now, he said, it needs to be dealt with. I believe that the day will come where we're going to have a supernatural move of God in America. I believe that with all my heart. I believe it's going to be powerful. I believe that the gifts of the Spirit are going to be just amazing. I believe that it's going to be a powerful thing. And I believe that's going to happen before Jesus comes back for the church. I don't think Jesus is going to come back for a church full of racism. I just don't believe that. The question is, will racism ever be done away with? Racism as a as a sin will never be done away with. Just like adultery will never be done away with. Just like fornication will never be done away with. Just like any kind of other sin will never be done away with. But I believe that there is going to be a reformation in the church. And and, and I, I believe that's one of the reasons God is challenging me to challenge the church, challenge the church, challenge the church so the blindness can get off. Keep challenging the church, challenging the church, you know, to, to speak out against it. The day going to come now where the church is going to be free of it. That doesn't mean every single person in the church is going to be free, but I, it, it's going to be some deliverance coming in the area of racism. We're not going to have a body full of racism. We're not going to have it. It is going, and see, God is already doing something. What he's going to end up doing is provoking the church to jealousy because there are things happening in the world right now. People are changing some things, advertisements and products and all these things. Are ch- the, 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 the stalemate is in the church. It's not in the world. It's in the church. It's going to change. It, it's it's going to change. Now, how I, you know, it's going, I believe with all my heart, it's going to change. Shouldn't white people come to black churches because blacks were wronged by whites? That would be true reconciliation. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know that black, that white people should come to black churches uh, because they wronged us. I think they should come to black churches because they're led by the spirit. I personally believe the Spirit of God is leading. I believe. I don't believe that He's not talking to white Christians. I don't believe that. 
I don't, I don't believe that. I believe God is talking to white Christians. I believe white Christians are yielding to fear. They're yielding to ignorance. They're yielding to peer pressure. They're yielding to all this stuff. They're yielding to a superiority complex. They're yielding to stuff. But I don't believe it's because, but I think if we keep preaching this thing, I think if we keep preaching this thing, I'm telling you, all we got to do is preach it. See, we talking a lot about it. We eat dinner with each other and, and <laughs> we, we having breakfast with each other and all that. And, and, and everybody, nobody's a racist stuff. No, no. When we start preaching this, it's going to happen. I promise you. I promise you. Um, why do you feel like some blacks cross over the white churches. Well, I think they cross over the white churches for different reasons. I think some blacks cross over the white churches because they're led by the spirit. I think some blacks cross over to white churches because they think white churches is a better deal. I think uh, some cross over because they, same way they, they come to other churches, because they somebody told them, they, they go with their friends, they go with somebody else. People are not always joining churches because they're led by the spirit. Sometimes people, they go because they're offended at the black church and they're offended. It's a lot of reasons why people go to it. But I do, I do believe some people are led by the spirit. Pastor, is there something wrong with preferring not to assimilate or is it needed for us black people to do for blacks and whites to walk in peace and love and free of racism? Well, I don't think that it's anything wrong with having a preference but I don't think we can ever show the world anything by just being in segregated churches. Well, I mean, what, we've had that. We've had that for over 200 years or 400 years, how many years? I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't think it was never, I don't think it was ever God's plan to have white and black churches. I don't think that was God's plan. I think racism did that. So, I don't think it's wrong if it, see, li, li, the question, listen at this question. Pastor, is something wrong with preferring not to assimilate? Now, yes, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's something wrong with preferring. We're not supposed to be led by preferring. We're not supposed to be led by, I prefer being with my people. I prefer being with that. I prefer this. I pre no, no, it's always something wrong when it comes to following God, following our preference. And that's true whether you're black or white, because I had a man years ago, years ago, years ago, years ago, hadn't joined our church yet. He told me, I know God wants me at Faith Chapel. But I don't like the music. That's what he told me. He said, I don't like the music. <laughs> In other words, he prefers something else. That was a black person. He said, I prefer something else. Well, to me, if God is leading you to do something, you prefer something else. To me, that's pride and that's rebellion. If you really know it, I think it's not just pride. I think it's rebellion if you know what God is leading you to do. And I just don't believe people are being led. That's, I believe that's the problem right there we're preferring. So do you feel that until black people heal from self-hate as a whole, it's wasting time waiting on other races to accept us? Uh, no. No. Uh, I think... We need to be healed from self-hate 
because it's better to be healthy than to be sick. You know what I mean? I, I think we need to be healed for us. I don't think us being healed has anything else to do with white people um, accepting us. You know what I mean? I, I, I think whites got their own issues. I think white people got their issues, just like black people got their issues. And um, in the same, at the same time that black people have to hit, receive healing for self-hate, white people going to have to get delivered from superiority. I mean, you know, and, 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 and I, don't, I don't know if one or the other is better. You know what I mean? Uh, but these are absolutely great questions. These are good. Well, that's all, folks. 